Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large at Recode, and you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech and the week's news. You can send us your questions on Twitter with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. We also have an email address, tooembarrassed at recode.net. Reminder, there are two R's and two S's in embarrassed in case you cannot spell. Some people can't. Today, I'm still in New York City. I never leave here. Um, it's been a really productive uh, trip for podcasts over the past two weeks. I've talked about Apple with Dan Fromer and the media merger mania uh, with Peter Kafka. But today, I'm branching out. No more Recode dudes. I have a different dude. Uh, today, I'm here in the studio with one of my favorite people, Anil Dash, not just on Twitter, but he's a very strong thinker about tech and things like that. And he's, he's got a conscience, which I really enjoy. He's also an entrepreneur, a blogging pioneer, and a former advisor the Obama White House. And he's currently uh, CEO of Fog Creek Software. How are you doing, Anil? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I love seeing you in person. Yeah. Because um, we talk a lot on Twitter. We, we, yes. just, we get indignant. It's like, true. Together. We get like, nice. and then the we're kind of funny. Yeah. But then we're kind of funny, too, right. so people don't know what they're getting. So let me get some background for sure. you before we get to questions and topics and stuff. So what is Fog Creek Software? Mm-hmm. Explain it. We are in, uh, the last great independent tech company which All is right. the, the okay. company has been around 18 years, right. uh, probably best known for over the years, uh, co-creating Stack Overflow and spinning that out, inventing mm-hmm. Trello, spinning that out, that mm-hmm. sold last year. Uh, and now we are all in on a new platform called Glitch, which is a creative community for coders. And there's mm-hmm. millions of people making apps they and are. things. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, a hist- I, I really don't think there's been a company our size. We're small. We're like three dozen people mm-hmm. that has spun out products that tens of millions of people have used. And most right. famously, you know, the co-founders, Joel Spolsky and Michael Pryor have you know, been these incredible entrepreneurs. So I joined about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a nice thing. And, and we get to be opinionated and loudmouth a little bit and mm-hmm. also have a lot of fun mm-hmm. um, and, and build cool stuff. Right. So it's nice. So you, and what do you do? What is your... I'm the CEO. Right. Um, so it's all my fault when something goes wrong. I see. And, um, no, you know, a lot, I'm really lucky. A lot of what I get to do is sort of uh, thinking through as we build Glitch, how do we make this the thing that nobody else can do? Right. And right. That's, so that's explain Glitch. Explain so, sure. So Glitch is, um, uh, I also like think of it as a creative community for coders. So, you, you know, millions of coders come in. That build, just sold for a billion zillion dollars. Yeah. You know, it's a little, it's that's closer. Like more of a repository. Yeah. I think in Ethos, it's closer to SoundCloud or to YouTube than it is to GitHub. It's like you're showing okay. your stuff off and people are remixing it and responding mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it does do all the Git stuff. So like mm-hmm. that, you, just, you need that to be able to create. Collaboration. Yeah. Uh, and then what we're finding, this is sort of ramping up right now, is a lot of people, like business users, whatever, it's like, oh, the little tools I want are here. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's almost like an app store. Like right. it's a lot of free open source tools. But they're they're like, they're not, I'm not a developer. I'm not a coder. I want to take this tool, maybe remix it and, you know, make the button blue instead of green, but not mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not building an app from scratch. Um, and I think we're going to, you know, we're going to follow them over the next couple of months. We're doing a, a thing called uh, Glitch for Teams, and that's to take it to work and use it. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where that's headed. Um, it's exciting. I mean, to see as an independent company for us, you know, millions of people come in and say, I want to create. That's a, right. that's just a nice feeling. Right. And the thematic thing is like Trello and this is all creation. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, exactly. Um, Collaboration. And then, of course, you know, with the Stack Overflow DNA, that mm-hmm. sort of deep developer connection. Right. Absolutely. And then, but and, and you worked at the Obama White House. I didn't. Did. I was an advisor, advisor. Uh, okay, to, well, to Jason Goldman's team, right. the, the chief digital officer. And what were you advising? Um, you know, <laughs> it all seems so quaint at this point, but like. Well, in there ga- isn't a chief science officer. There's yeah, not a CTO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, engaging, you know, around how to use social media to like have people's voices be heard mm-hmm. and, you know, give feedback on everything from policy to, you know, what they thought of how the yeah, they don't was care doing. What you think now. Right. And so, you know, that it, it's, I mean, it, 
this is a, a petty thing, but I'm going to go into it anyway because I, I appreciate you petty indulging is me. My favorite you know, place. there was the 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 I don't even know how to say it. C o v f e f e that horrible tweet of Kofefe, whatever it is, and whatever it's a typo, it's gibberish. The lack of care indicated in that you can just send out any garbage and it can be incoherent. And there were people, you know, you know this better than anybody, so thoughtful in that last administration, so mindful how they're mm-hmm. communicating, so heartfelt, incredibly talented people mm-hmm. putting their minds into, if we use this platform right, we can give people a voice and we can hear mm-hmm. them and we can respond to them. And the gap between those things, it is... Um, it gives me enough infuriation to be the anger to fuel my fire to do good work every single day. I can yeah. get up and say, "Wow!" Yeah. Like, yeah. let me let that encourage me this to do my best. Was bad, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. But yeah. you know, everything is trash to them. Honestly, everything's <laughs> trash. To them. So, uh, oh, what did I say? Something uncontroversial. So, but on your website, you you mm-hmm. call yourself an activist. What, yeah. what talk about that? Talk so, about you know, I, I was raised in a in a in a household. It, my, my parents are uh, Indian American, and mm-hmm. you know, came to this country in the sixties and seventies. And mm-hmm. and um, you're an immigrant family. Though. We are. We are. Um, you know, I was born and raised in rural Pennsylvania. Well, let's split so. you up then. As well, soon as I mean, you know, I, I take it real seriously. It's oh, like, me you too. know, you know, my parents, you know, um, are what America is about that mm-hmm. working hard and giving us a place right. to work and for right. me to be an entrepreneur and give people jobs like that right. story. Right. And at the same time, my um, uh, great grandfather marched with Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And I was told these stories as a kid and what it meant for people to uh, have determination over their own lives and that this is something that is not. Um, a, you know, it's not the myth, right, that we mm-hmm. tell people about but, you know, the founding fathers and the things like my father, who is alive, mm-hmm. was born a British subject. He was not born a free man. Right. And he's alive. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy that got me into computers. Right. And is the reason I have the job I have today. And so that that is lived history. I think I feel very strongly. And so I carry that through of like, yeah, you know, I run a software company. Let's be real about it. Like I'm not, right. you know, I, 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 you know, and, and as often as not when people are marching these days, I'm like home with my son, but we're mm-hmm. talking about what is it that they're marching about. Right. And so like, I'm not pretending like I am this like fighter out in the streets and I don't, I don't pretend mm-hmm. to that. But I think there is a role to be had, a responsibility to be had as a CEO, as mm-hmm. somebody with a voice and a platform. Mm-hmm. And I get to yell at people on Twitter or whatever. Right, right. That, um, that we can use it that way. So th- that's sort of why I put that, you know, early in a description of myself because I think it it has to guide the stuff. Which I think a lot of people don't want to be seen as. It's a, It's been a very big, you know, It's you think about Tim Cook. He now has to respond on DACA yes, and everything yeah, else, which is yeah. kind of every CEO does. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see Tim being, you know, 10% more open than, than Steve Jobs was. Mm-hmm. And Apple saying, okay, we're going to give a tiny little bit of money to mm-hmm. causes instead of zero dollars. Mm-hmm. Like this is this – like their version of responding. Like I, it's good. And I'm, you know, I'm being glib about the fact that they're changing. But the change mm-hmm. is good and important and is right. totally driven by their employees pushing them. Well, one thing that you have talked about a lot and, you know, it's my big issue is the state of ethics in mm-hmm. tech right now. Mm-hmm. I just did an interview with Tom Peters and he's called it a moral cesspool, which I thought was – that's fair. Yeah. So, <laughs> so can we talk about what's going? Are they going to yeah. get better? Or is it just spinning their wheels? What's your? How do you feel about uh, what's going on? You know, I look back. I, I had my sort of eye-opening moment maybe ten years ago or so, mm-hmm. where I was building social media tools. I was in San Francisco. I was, you know, in the heart of it, mm-hmm. and sort of was thinking about, okay, if all this works, what happens to the world? Mm-hmm. And like, I certainly didn't foresee <laughs> what has happened, but I was like, you know, there are things that we're not going to be proud of. Mm-hmm. And and certainly you could foresee the harassment and the abuse that ordinary people like se- right. separate from the political impact, right. and sort of um, thought, okay, this is something we need to, to really focus on. And uh, when I started talking about that, and and, and not, I was actually not very confrontational. I, I'm much more so now. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, hey, what do you think about this stuff? 
and it was perceived as heresy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it was. Uh, We'll talk about that. The most grave transgression. Well, you know, every— So you would say what? Uh, uh, so, you know, we were building blogging tools and social media tools, and I said we should be really thoughtful about how people are going to use them and how we, for example, deal with uh, identity. And it's like I'm all for, uh, you know, pseudonymous accounts that people want to be able to share information safely. Like, that's important, mm-hmm. especially, you know, marginalized people that are like be at risk when they say that. But totally anonymously being able to share anything at any time without any accountability can have a lot of negative effects, as we've seen. And, you know, this idea, well, the internet's supposed to be free and why are you trying to censor people? And then, you know, why do I have to be accountable for what I say? You know, I had people explicitly say, like, you know, if you keep talking about this stuff, you will never be able to get a startup funded. Hmm. You will never, like, you're, you're, like, like, you're screwing your future. Like, pretty much almost in those words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and this is like, I'm, I'm lucky. Like, I'm whatever. I'm, I'm CEO of, like, a small tech company. So I'm, like, in the, like... B minus league and 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 maybe a little bit higher because I'm I have a high profile right for a, for a low end CEO and just and but at my network like I know a lot of people yeah, you and do. so if you look at the you know the the Twitters and and, and LinkedIn's and whatever's of the world mm-hmm. those are people generally I knew the founders from before they started just because I've been around a long time right and despite that network of those connections and they've always been very respectful and and willing to listen to criticism right. because I come from that cohort but. The, the other people, and this is more VC side or more mm-hmm, of like, mm-hmm. you know, industry player side, sure. not creators, were very explicit about you can't do this. You can't talk about these issues and still be a credible participatory part of this this industry. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, that's not been the case. And now, like, everybody's tune has changed. Right. And even the, like, least aware leaders are like, oh, we're supposed to say this thing on diversity and inclusion. We're supposed to say right. this thing on ethics. Right. So, like, they at least know the script. And right. that, that's and it's funny because, like, they may or may not be sincere, but that at right. least feels like progress where they're like, they know what they're supposed okay, to say. Okay, you're talking about progress, but w- there are some really big glaring yes. problems. So let's go sure. over them. What do you, from your perspective, what, oh, gosh. what is happening? <laughs> and, you know, Tom was talking about a moral successful, but it, it yeah. is like, it's like, it's it's, it's an abrogation of responsibility. There is, there is. I, I think, you know, at a, at a real top tier there is um, actually that initial question, what happens if this succeeds? Mm-hmm. And so I look at the business models, right, the economics, mm-hmm. and you look at the funders and, and what are they trying to build. And one of these things is the reckoning around our data, our information, our privacy, because mm-hmm. that's how people become vulnerable. Right. That's how they become susceptible to attack. And you look at how primitive the early you know, text ads or the right. first version of AdWords was, and right. And it was like, those are fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody objects. To like, like I, for me explicitly, I'm like, I love that there are large-scale ad-supported services because I have family in the, some of the poorest regions of India, and they're not going to pay, you know, 10 bucks a month out of their pocket because that's mm-hmm. like a month's income. Mm-hmm. So ad-supported services make sense and are valuable and give more people access. Right. But nobody understands, nobody, literally nobody, including the people building these systems, understands what's happening through data now mm-hmm. when they're when they're capturing it and putting it into Facebook and Google systems mm-hmm. at that scale. That that's that sense that not only are we we as consumers, we don't know what's happening, mm-hmm. but that it is impossible to have accountability because nobody knows what's happening. Right, right. Is fundamentally untenable. And then we see the cost of that. So right. that's everything from can a company or a government get information about me and use it without me expecting it? And, you know, and I, I think of this of like, the, this is a very mm-hmm. extreme example, but it's you have to where you have to start the most vulnerable. You know, there's there's a genocide happening in Myanmar right now with the mm-hmm. Rohingya. There are attacks happening in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that 
the amplification of misinformation or propaganda on Facebook Facebook in particular Mm -hmm. is enabling that. And the, you know, I I contrast it to security where we've made a lot of progress in industry is like security. Mm -hmm. And if you got a bug report that your your servers are not secure in Sri Lanka right now, they say, oh, we better better shut that down. We'll pay a bug bounty. It's a money to the person that reported security Mm -hmm. vulnerability. We'll wait until it's fixed and we'll bring it back up and we'll do a full postmortem. And that's actually a great, healthy, mature practice, right, as an industry. Mm -hmm. And if I say you have a social vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. And it's costing people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, those those activists on the ground, those actors on the ground raising that flag, they don't even have a way to have that message come in. Mm -hmm. Second of all, they're certainly not going to get a check cut as a thank you for doing that. And third, um, there won't be a let's shut it down until we know what's happening. Right, right. And this is people's lives. This isn't like my server is leaking data. right. And and so there's a sense of like culpability and and the strongest argument in response is but also people are using it to coordinate response or also mm-hmm. people are using it to find out the price of fish at the market and they need mm-hmm. that to have their living. Like those are true things. Mm-hmm. Those are not the only things. And where do we draw this line? Like how do we even have that conversation about right. this? And is there somebody taking culpability? I don't know who that person is. And and the Stock defense, which I understand because I've been guilty of this in much lesser scenarios, but when I ran big platforms, of saying, well, we're all good people and we're trying our best. Right. And you think about, like, so what? Yeah. So what? That's what I say. So what? Like, I'm a good who's person. I'm trying to Right. Like, that's not, it's not irrelevant. Right. Like, let's, t- let's talk about the harm and who's vulnerable. And I right. think that reframing, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out when I was large, running large platforms, but the risk then was like, you know, the the these people are saying things about me I don't like. Right, you know? uh, right. But uh, I was doing this the other day so when I was having that big thing about Mrs. Steve Jobs on the yes. on Twitter. Yeah. And someone was like, well, men, some, oh, it, went, it went to their feelings, these men's feelings. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I forgot it was all about you. Yeah, yeah. This discussion. Well, then it's not, it's, not only is it, um, not I mean, you know, you. no disrespect to, to, to Steve, but like he's not with us anymore. Right. So, you know, you're not, like this idea of like by giving Laureen we will go, yeah. you know, credit for what she has done and describing yeah. her as her own person rather than to a person yeah. that she, you know, that that her, is her uh, deceased spouse is like a simple thing of saying like, he's not here to care right. about this credit. And she nor is. Nor he would have cared. Nor. Right, right. And, and I'm sure like every spouse, you want your spouse to be recognized on their own. And right. like, there's no, you know what I mean? Like, that's a basic respect thing. Yeah. But I think that sense of like, not only just the ego of the men that were complaining to you, but the sense of like, I have to fight for the ego, one of a guy who had no lack of ego on his own, certainly has gotten enough mm-hmm. credit in his life when he right. was here. Right. And three, would want her to get credit. Mm-hmm. And this theoretical, I'm, I'm going to like fight on his behalf. Mm-hmm. For what? Yeah. He's not going to come back and high-five you. No, not at all. And in fact, the person who wrote it, Mark Benioff, yes. changed it. And yes, and to his credit. Yeah. Right. Like, well, that's actually the interesting point, and this happens a lot in culture too, where like, and, and Mark, I think, is really growing and mm-hmm. trying to be thoughtful in his mm-hmm. leadership role. And so he was able to hear you right. and think about Lorraine and say, okay, let me be a responsible person yeah. and change. The fanboys oh. can't make the leap with him. So yeah. this is the thing. They were saying Mark was not wrong. And he says, I think I was. Yeah. And they can't say, well, he reflected, therefore I will. Yeah. They still have to double down. No, one of them was like, he's, that's not what Mark thinks. I go, oh, I know what Mark <laughs> thinks. Do you think he's not 
having discussions yeah. with me about it. Like, right. like right. you don't know him. I actually know it was. Right. Like, they were so like, here's what he thinks. Steve Jobs think I go. I think of the all of us. I knew what he thought. I don't know everything he thought, but yeah. I knew him better than you. And I feel this way a lot. Where I'm it like, you know, I'm a middle aged dad. I'm like, yeah. I'm not new to this. Right. I've yeah. been doing this a long time. I started yeah. my first company 25 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, and I get, and maybe I'm a total idiot in all other regards, but just I've been around a long yeah, time. Yeah, it was interesting. Just that much. You it should probably listen. So not surprising to me. So wait, before we get to a break and get to questions from sure. the audience, what do you imagine? Where are we in Silicon Valley after Mark's hearings? After the, mm. it feels like a, you know, the, there's a people keep saying, reckoning. We yeah. talked about that at Code. Talk I, about, I think there's there's you know a couple inflection points. Uh, Zuckerberg in front of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis stepping down at Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, and one or two sort of similar things where uh, all things I thought unimaginable 10 years ago, I definitely would have said we'll never have, you know, a, a financially successful startup or a hot growing startup have its, you know, one of the most the most popular ones have its CEO step down on ethical grounds. Mm-hmm. I hadn't imagined. So those are um, milestones. And even the fact that, all, like I said, all the CEOs know what to say about inclusion and hiring. Mm-hmm. So I think we're at the end of the beginning. Okay. So I think we've turned the corner on, does everybody understand uh, we should treat people decently and that people who work in tech are humans with responsibilities and, you know, basic human dignity, human rights stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is like an incredibly low bar. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm thrilled mm-hmm. that we have gotten to the part where we're like, we should treat people like people mm-hmm. and be kind and thoughtful. Um now, whether we're doing that, like, no, this, the structural stuff has not changed at all. No. And in fact— The new stats came out to us just yeah, as bad. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I look at um, the economic drivers are worse because now we have almost all VC dollars are going into, like, sort of hyper-funding. Mm-hmm. So you can't—like, I see this where, like, Glitch is taking off and we're really successful and I'm really happy. And, you know, when our company did Trello not that many years ago, six, seven years ago, very parallel. Like, we're, I mean, like, we're going a little faster in Trello, but, like, call it even— and it was like they did around $10 million, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And they grew and then they sold for $425 million and it's fine. And that human scale, like you can understand how many people are you doing and then people come in and you can teach them the culture and do these things. Mm-hmm. And now it would be hard to do – that deal would be perceived as small right. even though everybody made a ton of money on it. Right. And I look at – in particular our case, like we're a social network, like right? we have a social platform – Hypergrowth of social platforms is bad for the world. Mm-hmm. But if that fund is like at the end of a fund and they haven't had any hits and the LPs are putting pressure on them, they've they got to turn around and hit. Yeah. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you're like, well, it doesn't matter that there's a huge social cost of growing our product, our platform, our network no, quickly. Let's just go We're going to do it. Yeah. And that is more common because there are fewer startups mm-hmm. and really there are, are more dollars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that like that fundamental economics of like and hypergrowth is about in a million ways. Like why why do you cut corners? Why do you cut ethical corners? Why do you mm-hmm. uh, make bad choices about your hires? Like all those things all the way down happen because mm-hmm. of we have to move too fast, we can't be thoughtful, or the the economic model doesn't sustain this thing. I mean, there are businesses, a Katarina Faker, you know, was a co-founder of mm-hmm. Flickr and, and many other things that she's done, um, had a really great phrasing for me the other day. She talked about uh, what we're trying to do with Fog Creek and with Glitch of being a middle class company. And for the same reasons that the middle class is under attack, there are not middle class yeah, companies. Yeah, there's it's not like, just some. We're not. Large. We're not tiny. I mean, we have millions yeah. of users and all that stuff. But we're I think not. About that a lot. But we're not trying to be a multi billion dollar company. Like, if it happens, that's fine. Like, I'm not averse to that. Like, yeah. we'll, we'll chase the opportunity. Someone was like, "Why doesn't Recoup get bigger?" I'm like, "I wanted to get smaller." Yeah, like, and and I, I, but but just being human scale. Yeah. Like, I don't mind if if yeah. this takes us 25 years to build this. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Because we'll take care of our people 
right. meeting, meeting right. our employees, Which but also is, the community is, is along a the way. Hard thing, given the bigger we're getting bigger with these mergers. And so that's like the that. next. That's the next. Except area. all we're getting is mega mergers. See, yeah, these yeah. massive com- these trillion dollar companies. But that's the next challenge. That's yep. the next sort of thing. Now that's that we're really at the, the, the end of the beginning. Middle class. I like that middle class companies. Right, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll get back with the Neil Dash. We're talking about a whole range of things, including ethics, <laughs> and we got a lot of questions from readers. And Neil, you need to give me your best reading of the line hashtag money, since we have to make money on this show. Hashtag money. Nice. Everybody, all guys do this sports announcer thing. Yeah, I don't. Like, I don't try. It's good. It. I'm work. I'm, I'm fine, not. and I'm going to now read my. Ad Right Please now. do. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. It lets you privately and securely surf the internet at really fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. ExpressVPN encrypts your traffic and personal data while hiding your IP address. That means hackers, governments, and internet service providers cannot see what you're doing online. And installing ExpressVPN on all your devices is as simple as downloading an app. It only takes a few clicks to install on your desktop, laptop, smartphone, or tablet. For less than $7 a month, you can safely surf public Wi-Fi hotspots in Starbucks, hotels, and airports without having to worry about having your personal data stolen. To take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free, go to expressvpn.com slash T-E-T-A. That's expressvpn.com slash T-E-T-A for three months free. Don't put this off. Protect your internet and data with ExpressVPN today. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn. Have you tried to hire someone lately? It's hard, but it doesn't have to be thanks to our friends at LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. You post to job boards and hope you'll find the right person for your job. But think about it. How often do you actually check the job boards? For most people, it's a pretty occasional thing. But there is a place where people go daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities. 70% of the U.S. workforce is on LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn as the world's largest professional network, and it's also a better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. Because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and lots more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you are missing out. Go to linkedin.com slash ask and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash ask for $50 off. Terms and conditions apply. We're back with Anil Dash, who is the CEO of Fog Creek Software, but he's also a great thinker around topics. Of, You're so kind. You are. Well, you Thank are. You. Not a lot of people go out of their way the way you do. Um, so let's talk, talk to questions we've gotten from uh, audience members. We're going to take a few. A couple of people had food-related questions for you, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get to that later around mangoes. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Wilner, he has written brilliantly about online marketplaces and the trend from wide-open ones such as eBay to rigged markets such as app stores and Amazon to false markets where the company sets the price. We'd love to hear him update his take on marketplaces given all that's happened in the past year uh, and perhaps nothing has changed. Mm. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I, I should go into some depth in the explanation okay, there because it's do. a complicated idea. But the, the short version of it is, you know, well, what we all got excited about in the early days of the internet was the eBay yeah. idea, right? Anybody yeah. can sell something to yeah. anybody. And uh, one of the examples I look at is Amazon where, um, you know, uh, if you search for bed sheets, mm-hmm. you'll probably get pins on as one of their response. And that's their uh, house brand of bed sheets at Amazon. And what they've done is they watch for, like, what's the size bed sheets people search for the most and the thread count, and let's just make those ourselves and sell it and put it at the top of the listing. Mm. 
And and that's sort of what I would call a rigged market, right? Mm-hmm. Which is this like you're not and, – and all the other people that are selling bed sheets on Amazon are probably still thinking, oh, well, you know, if we just make a great product, right, right. we'll come up to yeah. the top of the list. And they don't know the playing field that they're on. And that is um, – that's happened sort of in a – um, in a stealth way. Like people yeah. don't really know that's how the landscape has changed. And then you go all the way into, you know, Uber in, in towns where it's like the only place that you, you can hail a ride. And they call what they do a market, right? Mm-hmm. They have the, like the drivers are competing for your business, in. but they fix the price right. and they choose who gets the business. And that's a completely closed thing. Mm-hmm. And like they've taken the language of the decorations of, you know, we'll match you with and the provider. And there's possibilities of competition. It just doesn't it exist. Been. Well, yeah. and you imagine like in this other version where like in the old Web 2.0 days or if like that other version of the internet had succeeded, Google would have said all the taxi companies list your available rides in this format and it will index them. And then when somebody searches taxi in downtown Manhattan, we'll list all the providers and you can choose one. And there's no reason they couldn't do that. A city could do that. Some have tried, but they're not really mm-hmm. got anywhere on it. And that idea that we were going to have these open platforms and people would sort of compete for your business it almost seems old-fashioned. And this right. goes to that point about the economics of it. Of uh, um, And actually, to answer the question, uh, it gets worse before it gets better. And it's because now with the— Why does it get better? Well, well, it's two reasons. The, 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 the get worse gets worse is because— they're not even trying to compete in the market. Like Uber is saying, like, if we raise enough funding, we can just subsidize all the rides and buy your business until the competitors go out of business. And that's, like, that's that's bad for consumers. And actually, mm-hmm. it's bad for product. Like, right. I think about this as like, I agree. a product guy who runs a product company. I'm like, I want us to have great competitors. Right. Because I want it to push us, and then it's good for our users and good for us. And, right. And we don't get complacent. Right. Um, the reason it gets worse is that sort of economic incentive around, like, we want to own the whole market. I think it gets better because it collapses under its own weight. At a certain so. point, you well, in, in the, the way that we see with every market where there's sort of a monopoly dominant player, at a certain point, people get too fed up where they're just like, there's only one player. They keep raising prices because they own this market. Um, we know they don't care about our needs. And we see this sort of pushback. And it takes a long time. Usually takes regulation or policy. Um, but at some point, you know, people get fed up with uh, that dynamic. I'm hoping that happens sooner rather than later on some of these things. Okay. Um, Adam Morgan, you've been very outspoken about diversity and inclusion within the tech industry and the hostility underrepresented minorities may face within the industry. Uh, why do you think uh, Southeast Asians, male and female, are so overrepresented mm-hmm. within the industry despite being a statistical minority in America? It's a great question. Uh, I and mean, I think there's a couple factors. And the first I would say is— largely about Indians, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know— um, Indian Americans are a really interesting challenge around all of our preconceptions of race and dynamics in this country in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Um, one of it is – one part of it is um, – so we have, you know, what Google or Microsoft or Adobe all have Indian American men as CEOs. Mm-hmm. They're all immigrants. None of them are Indian Americans born in the U.S. I think it's a really interesting distinction because there's mm-hmm. a big cultural gap there. Um, but overall, um, Indian Americans are underrepresented in management in tech companies, you know, compared to our overall populations like engineers and other things. There's a couple of factors. So for those of us, and, and there's actually a very big difference between South Asian uh, tech workers born in the U.S. versus not, right? So so the majority of those who are not are here on H-1Bs um, and have very little market leverage. Um, and for example, you know, the, the way I would sort of reduce it is, is overly simplistic, but um, they're not going to complain at work because mm-hmm. they're not going to risk getting sent back home. Because they're sending money back home, and in many cases, that's sustaining their family or their village, and that that's a, a obligation or a burden that I think is very hard for people to understand if they're not 
if they haven't seen it firsthand. Right. And, you know, I grew up in a household where we were, you know, helping my cousins mm-hmm. and, uh, and my uncles and aunts. And um, that obligation is m- taken more gravely and more seriously than right. almost anything else. So, of course, they don't organize. Of course, they don't say we're not fairly compensated. Of course, they don't say I'm not getting promoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not a lot of, you know, vertical mobilization. But in numbers, they're there because they are easy to keep in line. And so, like, you're incentivized to hire them. And there is also a legitimate thing if there's not enough skilled workers in certain trades and there are just numerically more Indian and Chinese workers that mm-hmm. are doing this work. And so it's like, okay, yeah, also we want these kinds of engineers. That's a very different story than those of us that are born here. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I grew up in the suburbs in Pennsylvania, you know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, like my, my, st- and of mm-hmm. course, like, I don't have an accent, which a lot of people, like, accents are this huge provocation to a lot of people mm-hmm. in America, especially Indian accents, even though, like, you know, Indian English is the most commonly spoken English in the world. Right. So, like, we have the accents. They don't, right? <laughs> you know? And But when you have people hear an Indian accent on the phone right. when they call somebody, they're livid about it. Yeah. And then and, and, and that comes up. And then, and so there's this dynamic here about, like, there isn't a monolith. There's right. not one answer to this. Um, why are there a lot of us? The, the fundaments are, you know, one, that economic story of, like, H-1B workers mm-hmm. are— mm-hmm represent less, uh, more control for companies. And then the other part is amongst uh, those of us born here, Mm -hmm. you know, the cultural assumption, and, uh, you know, the sort of the cliche version of this is like our parents pushing us to be in the spelling bee. Right. But there's like, what are acceptable paths? Right. And when I was growing up, it was doctor or lawyer. And sometime in the 90s, you know, software, computers got added to the list. And so the, the, the pressure of like what's acceptable was there. But I think one of the things that's important to flag is, You know, Steve Bannon, while in the White House as chief strategist, said there are too many Asian-American CEOs in tech. Yeah. And has for years been promoting a book called Camp of the Saints that calls for, that explicitly is propaganda about, you know, uh, Indian immigrants being a plague that the only solution to it is rounding us up in camps and exterminating us. Amazing. And, you know, and I would say, like, for cultural context, it is as poisonous as something like— you know, uh, and I'm I'm forgetting the name of it. There's a, there's a really notoriously anti-Semitic book that is, uh, uh, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, right? Well, no, but I think particularly yeah. the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which yeah. is like used this this tool to signify um, hate, and this is sort of the same thing for our community. And you know, to see a guy like that in that position of power, calling out, you know, and I, like he's not talking about me because I'm like too small a fish, mm-hmm. but to call out, you know, Satya Nadella or to call out, right. you know, any of these leaders in our industry, I think is absolutely extraordinary. And so I, I think there's a balance here where like numerically we're overrepresented. On the other hand, uh, we're the only group that the like chief strategist of the White House while in, his, in office there said, there's too many of you and we ought to do something about it while saying, look at this book. It talks about violence. So, um, I, I, you know, I might trade one for the other. I, right. I think there's okay. a record right. in there. Next question at code for PDX. Are real names essential for more ethical behavior online? Mm. If the account was anonymous, uh, what is a way to make users account for how they use it? Good question. Um, it's, it's, it's complicated. I'll try to do the simple version. Okay. Real names can help in some contexts. Mm-hmm. Certainly like in neighborhoods and things, it's really great to get to know mm-hmm. what people are. Um, real names make a lot of people vulnerable. Right. So, you know, we see this like, how do you define real? Especially if somebody is, um, you know, uh, discovering your identity is transgender and they change their name. What is real? Is that your legal name or not? Like, that's a thing that very, very few platforms handle well. So, real is a very fraught thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like whistleblowers and things like that, 
don't want to have their name attached to it because that will put them at risk. So those things are all legitimate reasons to say, no, we shouldn't do real names. On the flip side, a lot of the worst trolls and adversarial behaviors happen because people are not accountable because their names are right. attached. I think the balance to that is to – and this is a problem across all of social networks um, – is the mechanism is not the thing. Whether it's a real name or not, whether it's a pseudonym or not is not the thing. It's like enforcement and understanding power and abuse – is actually the issue. And like you can choose any, ver you know, any value here. And one example I would give is, um, you know, Stack Overflow. I know it well, so I'm not just talking my book because I'm on the board. But they're like, um, it's 50 million users a month, something like that. Huge, huge site, like top 40 site on the web. And very fraught things like talking about programming languages, people get very emotional and allows people to be completely anonymous. Now, the site is like, it should be more welcoming. Like there are challenges around how friendly it is. But there are not, mobs of Nazis on Stack Overflow. Mm -hmm. There's not mass disinformation right. on Stack Overflow. And yet you can be totally anonymous and use the site or not even log in at all. Right. So it's possible to design systems that don't have some of these abuses with totally anonymous systems. It takes enforcement, moderation, investment. Right. And that's actually the challenge. So the names thing is sort of a, it's a side issue. You yeah. can make almost any choice there. And as long as you have good policy, good enforcement. Which is the problem on Twitter. Then you can get a good result. Enforce. That's right. Right. Enforcement is it. All right. Ian Gertler, as we continue to see the state of tech change quickly in both good and bad ways, what is the big thing that Fog Creek Glitch needs to address for next for customers? Uh, that's a good question. Um, there's a lot. I mean, we're early. We're, we're, we're you know, um, Glitch is about a year old, uh, and we only came out of beta like two months ago. So, you know, we're doing the basic every startup stuff. We're growing, and we're building new features, and, you know, um, we're going to build our you know, our, our paid business product, um, you know, this fall with Glitch for Teams. Those are, like, functional things. I think as an organization, we've done a lot of tactical stuff. Like, we did, um, we'd always been pretty good about being open about salary, but we did full salary transparency last year mm -hmm. and gave everybody inside, like, these are the salary ranges and these things. And it's helped. It's nice because it was it was not actually a big lift. It was like, we had to do the functional things. Mm -hmm. Once it's there, it's just there. And so, like, every job listing has a salary range and people don't have to negotiate when they come in. And you see it in what kinds of candidates come in, mm -hmm. you know, and, and and whether it's by race, by gender, any other part of identity, it attracts so much more talent because they're like, I don't have to negotiate who I am and and, and fight with somebody on the way in. Um, th that's the stuff that we're doing more and more of. And we even did um, our employee agreement. We let everybody sort of edit, um, you know, collaboratively and say, like, what do we want to do here around, um, you know, one of the things was intellectual property. And I think a lot of companies are still trying to claim what, what employees do. And we're like, we're just going to do like California style. You can have control over what you create on your own time and your own space um, and do that for everybody around the world. So like those are things where like, I, I want to do more of that, but it's just basic, like treat people well. Right. Okay. Sounds good. A listener asked your main anonymous email to mm. ask us, I'd love to work for Fog Creek, but don't live in New York City. <laughs> Will you guys ever become a more distributed remote company? What are your thoughts on remote? Yeah, we're mostly remote. Gemma? So, so when we started, um, uh, Joel Spolsky was, you know, writing Joel on software, and it was a very influential mm -hmm. software blog. And he was really adamant about, like, we're going to make an amazing office in New York sure. and come here. And then, oh, maybe eight, nine years ago, but right before Trello sort of took off, we went uh, remote first. And so every meeting, literally the day I joined, we had, a, like, all hands. And everybody, including everybody in headquarters, was on their headset at a video camera at their desk so mm -hmm. that there isn't anybody who's, like, on that 
conference phone on the wrong end and people are like, are you still on? Like, I forgot mm-hmm. you were there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge thing. I was like, wow, this is wild. I've never seen anything like it. Right. Um, we're still um, mostly remote. Um, so about half, a little less than half the companies in our headquarters, which is actually where our building in downtown Manhattan is the next building over from where Vox Media is. So we're mm-hmm. very close by. And uh-huh. we have a great office, and that's nice. So and then we have, have a ton of people who work at home. Right yeah. Okay, all right. There, where are your thoughts? He likes it. All yeah. right. Okay, last question. Carol Forden uh, and many people. Um, uh, I want to know your favorite way to eat nori and how you prepare it. Uh, nori. Okay. N- all right, try that one first. These uh, really I don't – yeah, I don't have a real strong feelings on nori. I mean, it's fine. I don't – Okay. I wish I had a better answer there. Why are they asking about Nori? Nori's weird. Mangoes I get. I go. We're going to go to mangoes yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Uh, when we said you'd be on the show, Anna uh, Milo Civic and Michael Hart both tweeted us about mangoes. And, you know, what is that? <laughs> what is the mango thing? Um, I'll, I'll give you the short version of it. I'll right. try. I, it's hard for me to be succinct. Um, so About mangoes? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in the U.S., we basically only have one or two kinds of mangoes. most common are like Hayden. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's those like reddish green ones you see. Mm-hmm. And they are the worst mangoes you could have. They are okay. optimized for transport, All right. which is why Bad they're stringy mangoes. and gross. Right? right, okay. And and it's a little bit like if the only apple we had was like a mushy red delicious. Right. Right? Yeah. You'd be like, apples are bad. Right, right. Um, being Indian, and this is true of like I think most of the sort of world that has access to tropical fruit, um, mangoes are like almost a religious thing. Mm-hmm. One is like every region has its own. It's very, very local and there's all different varietals. Right. Two is like the ritual of it. Because they're this amazing fruit. It's this, like, very, very rich, complex flavor. And also everybody has access. So, like, you don't have to be rich to buy a mango. Um, And only – it was actually not until 2007 that you could buy Indian mangoes in the U.S. And even here, it's really rare. They're really expensive because they have to be flown before they sort of get too old. But there's this couple-week window every spring where you can go to an Indian store – you, probably in like two or three biggest cities in America, not really that mm-hmm. much else. And you can get these Indian mangoes and they are, they're as good as I remember when I was a kid and we would go to India and try them. And mm-hmm. I was just like, these are amazing. So I've been evangelical about them because I'm just like, if you think you don't like mangoes or mm-hmm. you think you mangoes are only okay, you've never actually had one. Mm-hmm. And we should just raise our standards. And what what's what's taken off, this is mostly like on Twitter, but on social media is like- It is, the mango it, thing is, is, is everybody's like, this is weird. And then they try one and they're like, Oh, I see why. And then this right. really took off this year. Uh, there's a comedian who's a friend of mine, uh, Hari Kondabolu, mm-hmm. and he did a Netflix special, and he went off on, like, how mangoes. Indian people are obsessed with mangoes. Mm-hmm. And and it's true, actually, of everybody in South Asia. And and um, and so more and more people are trying, and as they try it, they're like, convert. Converted, and it's a like huge social media thing. Yeah, yeah, because it's amazing. It's a nice like, thing. You've never, yeah, it's like well, it's something that makes you happy. Yeah. Have you ever had a good mango? I apparently not. I right. think I've had a mango. In All right, I'm going to make sure we get you some. All right, and okay. then you're and then you're going to be one of us, and then they're going to like what happened? Is there what happened to Kara? Why is she this person? No, there doesn't need to be. It's there, bigger. It's, it's bigger, bigger than, than that. Okay. All right. So it's the mango thing. It's such a nice thing, given. Yeah, what, it kind of has something what good in the world. fresh hell that Twitter exactly. brings us every day kind of thing. It's literally sweet. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and Neil, I can't believe we ended on that. All right, this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks again to Anil Dash for joining me on the show. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave a review there. And if you have a minute, tell someone about this podcast or tell several people. One more request, if you haven't already, go check out our other shows. I host Recode Decode and Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. If you have questions about any tech topic or the latest tech news, tweet them to at Recode with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed or email them to TooEmbarrassed at Recode.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sells those ads. You can listen to this show for free. 
Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask, so tune in then. 